This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of femoral neck fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Femoral neck fractures are common injuries to the proximal femur associated with increased risk of avascular necrosis and high levels of patient morbidity and mortality. Diagnosis is generally made radiographically with orthogonal radiographs of the hip. Treatment is generally operative with open reduction and internal fixation versus orthoplasty depending on the age of the patient, activity demands, and pre-injury mobility. Now let's get into the episode. Starting with epidemiology, the incidence of femoral neck fractures is common and is increasingly common due to the aging population. In terms of demographics, women are more affected than men, Caucasians are more affected than African Americans, and know that the United States has the highest incidence of hip fracture rates worldwide. Moving on to etiology, with respect to pathophysiology, as far as the healing potential of femoral neck fractures, the femoral neck is intracapsular and bathed in synovial fluid, it lacks a periosteal layer, and callus formation is limited, which affects healing. As far as the mechanism of femoral neck fractures, it is typically high-energy injuries in young patients and low-energy falls in older patients. Associated injuries with femoral neck fractures include femoral shaft fractures, and know that 6-9% to of femoral shaft fractures are associated with femoral neck fractures. Remember to treat the femoral neck fracture first, followed by the shaft. Now let's talk about some relevant anatomy. We'll go over osteology and blood supply to the femoral head. In terms of osteology, the normal neck shaft angle is 130 plus or minus 7 degrees. Normal antiversion is 10 plus or minus 7 degrees. In terms of blood supply to the femoral head, the major contributor is the medial femoral circumflex artery, specifically the lateral epiphyseal artery. There is some contribution to the anterior and inferior head from the lateral femoral circumflex artery. There is also some contribution from the inferior gluteal artery. There is a small and insignificant supply from the artery of the ligamentum teres. Know that displacement of a femoral neck fracture would disrupt the blood supply and cause an intracapsular hematoma. However, the effect is controversial. Now, let's talk about the classification of femoral neck fractures. And the ones to know include the garden classification, the simplified garden classification, and the Powell's classification. So starting with the garden classification, this is based on the AP radiographs and does not consider lateral or sagittal plane involvement. This is divided into four types. Type 1, type 2, type 3, and type 4. Type 1 corresponds to an incomplete fracture that is valgus impacted. Type 2 corresponds to a complete fracture that is non-displaced. Type 3 corresponds to a complete fracture that is partially displaced. And type 4 corresponds to a complete fracture that is fully displaced. The simplified garden classification is divided into non-displaced and displaced. Non-displaced includes gardens 1 and 2, and displaced includes gardens 3 and 4. Finally, moving on to the Powell classification, this is based on the vertical orientation of the fracture line, and this is divided into three types, type 1, type 2, and type 3. A type 1 fracture is characterized as less than 30 degrees from the horizontal. A type 2 fracture corresponds to 30 to 50 degrees from the horizontal. And a type 3 fracture corresponds to greater than 50 degrees from the horizontal. Know that this is the most unstable with the highest risk of non-union slash AVN. Moving on to the presentation of femoral neck fractures, symptoms of impacted and stress fractures include slight pain in the groin or pain referred along the medial side of the thigh and the knee. In displaced fractures, these patients will have pain in the entire hip region. On physical exam, in the setting of impacted and stress fractures, there will be no obvious clinical deformity. There may be minor discomfort with active or passive hip range of motion, 
as well as muscle spasms at the extremes of motion. There may also be pain with percussion over the greater trochanter. In displaced fractures, you will see that the leg will be in external rotation and abduction with shortening. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP, cross-table lateral, and a full-length femur. As far as an AP view, know that attraction internal rotation AP of the hip is best for defining the fracture type. As far as optional views, consider obtaining dedicated imaging of the uninjured hip to use as a template intraoperatively. A CT scan is helpful in determining displacement and degree of comminution in some patients. An MRI is helpful to rule out occult fracture. However, it's not helpful in reliably assessing the viability of the femoral head after fracture. A bone scan can also be helpful to rule out an occult fracture. However, it's also not helpful in reliably assessing viability of the femoral head after fracture. Duplex scanning is indicated to rule out DVT if there's a delayed presentation to the hospital after hip fracture. Now, let's talk about the treatment of femoral neck fractures. They're both non-operative and operative indications. Non-operative options include observation alone, which may be considered in some patients who are non-ambulators, have minimal pain, and who are at high risk for surgical intervention. Operative options include ORIF, cannulated screw fixation, a sliding hip screw, hemiarthroplasty, and total hip arthroplasty. An ORIF is indicated in the setting of displaced fractures in young or physiologically young patients. ORIF is indicated for most patients less than 50 years of age. Cannulated screw fixation is indicated in the setting of non-displaced transcervical fractures, garden 1 or 2 fractures in the physiologically elderly, and displaced transcervical fracture in a young patient. This is considered a surgical emergency, and remember it's important to achieve reduction to limit vascular insult, and remember reduction must be anatomic, so open if necessary. Moving on to a sliding hip screw, this is indicated in the setting of basicervical fractures. It can also be indicated in vertical fracture patterns in a young patient. Remember that a sliding hip screw is biomechanically superior to cannulated screws. However, it may not be clinically superior. Consider placement of an additional cannulated screw above the sliding hip screw to prevent rotation. Moving on to hemiarthroplasty, indications are controversial. However, it can be indicated in debilitated elderly patients as well as in those with metabolic bone disease. A total hip arthroplasty also has controversial indications, but it can be indicated in older active patients, patients with pre-existing hip osteoarthritis as these patients will have more predictable pain relief and better functional outcomes than hemiarthroplasty, and this option is also indicated in garden 3 or 4 in patients less than 85 years of age. Now, let's go over some of these management techniques in a bit more detail. Starting with general surgical consideration, time to surgery is controversial. Keep in mind that reduction method and quality of reduction has a more pronounced effect on healing than surgical timing. Elderly patients with hip fractures should be brought to surgery as soon as medically optimal. The benefits of early mobilization cannot be overemphasized. There are improved outcomes in medically fit patients if surgically treated less than four days from an injury. Preoperative echocardiograms have been shown to delay the time to surgery without any effect on treatment decisions. The treatment approach is based on the degree of displacement, physiologic age of the patient, remember that young is considered less than 50 years old, ipsilateral femoral neck and shaft fractures where the priority goes to fixing the femoral neck because anatomic reduction is necessary to avoid complications of avascular necrosis and non-union. In terms of fixation with implants that allow sliding, be sure to permit dynamic compression at the fracture site during axial loading. Know that fixation with implants that allow sliding can cause shortening of the femoral neck. Also be aware of prominent implants, affecting biomechanics of the hip joint, lower physical function on SF36, and decreased quality of life. 
Remember that anatomic reduction with intraoperative compression and placement of a length-stable device decreases shortening. Finally, in terms of open versus closed reduction, there are worse outcomes with a displacement of greater than 5 millimeters, with a higher rate of osteonecrosis and nonunions. There is no consensus on which reduction approach is superior. However, multiple closed reduction attempts are associated with a higher risk of osteonecrosis of the femoral head. Moving on to ORIF, the approach can be a limited anterior Smith-Peterson approach or a Watson-Jones approach. So in a limited anterior Smith-Peterson approach, a 10-centimeter skin incision is made beginning just distal to the AIIS. You will then incise the deep fascia, develop an interval between the sartorius and the tensor fascia lata. Remember that external rotation of the thigh accentuates the dissection plane. The lateral femoral cutaneous nerve is identified and retracted medially with the sartorius. You will then identify the tendinous portion of the rectus femoris and then elevate off the hip capsule and then open the capsule to identify the femoral neck. A Watson-Jones approach is used to gain improved exposure of lower femoral neck fractures. You will make a skin incision approximately 2 cm posterior and distal to the ASIS down toward the tip of the greater trochanter. The incision is curved distally and extended 10 cm along the anterior portion of the femur. You will then incise the deep fascia and develop an interval between the tensor fascia lata and the gluteus medius. The anterior aspect of the gluteus medius and minimus is retracted posteriorly to visualize the anterior hip capsule. The capsule is then sharply incised with a Z-shaped incision. The capsulotomy must remain anterior to the lesser trochanter at all times to avoid injury to the medial femoral circumflex artery. Finally, in terms of reduction, methods may vary. However, it's important to evacuate the hematoma, place A to P K wires into the femoral neck slash head proximal to the fracture to use as joysticks for reduction, you will then insert a starting K-wire for either cannulated screw or sliding hip screw into the appropriate position laterally, up to but not across the fracture. Once reduction is obtained, drive the starting K-wire across the fracture, and then insert a second threaded tips K-wire if adding additional fixation. Moving on to cannulated screw fixation, the technique involves three screws if non-comminuted. Know that the three-screw inverted triangle configuration has been shown to be superior to two screws. In terms of order of screw placement, this varies, but the first screw is typically the inferior screw along the calcar, the second screw is the posterior slash superior screw, and the third screw is the anterior superior screw. Be sure to obtain as much screw spread as possible in the femoral neck. The inverted triangle along the calcar, not central in the neck, has stronger fixation and higher load to failure. Four screws can be considered for posterior comminution. However, a clear advantage of additional screws has not been proven in the literature. Remember, the starting point should be at or above the level of the lesser trochanter to avoid fracture. Avoid multiple cortical perforations during guide pin or screw placement to avoid development of a lateral stress riser. Moving on to hemiarthroplasty, as far as approach, the posterior approach has an increased risk of dislocation, while the anterolateral approach has increased abductor weakness. In terms of technique, cemented is superior to uncemented, and you have the choice of unipolar versus bipolar. Moving on to total hip replacement, as far as the technique, you should consider using the anterolateral approach and selective use of larger heads in the setting of a femoral neck fracture. As far as advantages, there's improved functional hip scores and lower reoperation rates compared to hemiarthroplasty and internal fixation. In terms of complications, know that there is a higher rate of dislocation with total hip arthroplasty at approximately 10%, and it's about five times higher than hemiarthroplasty. Now, let's talk about complications of femoral neck fractures. We'll go over osteonecrosis, nonunion, dislocation, failure rates, reducing complications with the co-management service, and loss of independence.
to starting with osteonecrosis, there is an incidence of 10 to 45%. Recent studies failed to demonstrate an association between time to fracture reduction and subsequent avascular necrosis. Know that there is an increased risk of osteonecrosis with increased initial displacement. Remember that AVN can still develop in non-displaced injuries. There is also an increased risk with a non-anatomical reduction, as well as a sliding hip screw, which was reported by the FAITH study. In terms of treatment of osteonecrosis, major symptoms are not always present when AVN develops. In a young patient, if there is greater than 50% involvement of the osteonecrosis, then treat with a free vascularized fibula graft versus a total hip arthroplasty. In an older patient, a prosthetic replacement should be carried out, whether hemiarthroplasty versus total hip arthroplasty. Moving on to non-union, there is an incidence of 5-30% to 30% after a femoral neck fracture. There is an increased incidence in displaced fractures, and know that there is no correlation between age, gender, and rate of non-union. A varus malreduction most closely correlates with failure of fixation after reduction and cannulated screw fixation. Treatment options for a non-union include a valgus intertrochanteric osteotomy, a free vascularized fibula graft, arthroplasty, or revision ORIF. So a valgus intertrochanteric osteotomy is indicated in patients after femoral neck non-union. This can be done even in the presence of AVN as long as it is not severely collapsed. This option turns a vertical fracture line into a horizontal fracture line and decreases shear forces across the fracture line. A free vascularized fibula graft is indicated in young patients with a viable femoral head. Arthroplasty is indicated in older patients or when the femoral head is not viable. It's also an option in young patients with a non-viable femoral head as opposed to a free vascularized fibula graft. Moving on to dislocation, there is a higher rate of dislocation with total hip arthroplasty, that is approximately 10%, and it can be up to 7 times higher than hemiarthroplasty. Moving on to failure rates, there are high early failure rates in the fixation group, which stabilizes after 2 years. A 2-year follow-up of the elderly population greater than 70 years with displaced femoral neck fractures, there is 46% failure with fixation techniques, and 8% failure with arthroplasty techniques. At 2-10 to 10 year follow-up, the failure rate is approximately 2-4% respectively. Overall failure rates are still higher in fixation versus arthroplasty at 10-year follow-up. Know that sliding hip screws have lower reoperation rates compared to cannulated screws. This is in the setting of displaced femoral neck fractures, basicervical femoral neck fractures, and in current smokers. Now let's talk about reducing complications with the co-management service. Orthopedic geriatric co-management of trauma patients has been demonstrated to yield decreased mortality, post-operative complications, time to surgery, and length of stay, though there's conflicting results on the length of stay. There's also improved post-operative mobility at four months. It's also important to mitigate the risks of hospital delirium, which may lead to increased length of stay. Finally, moving on to loss of independence, patients require walking aids and assisted living following fracture surgery. Associated fractures include age over 80 years old, an ASA class of greater than 1, prior walking aid use, current tobacco use, implant placement quality, non-displaced fractures, and not requiring revision surgery. Finally, let's end this review session talking about prognosis. Know that femoral neck fractures are the most expensive fracture to treat on a per-person basis. Mortality is approximately 25-30% to 30% at one year, which is higher than vertebral compression fractures. As far as predictors of mortality, pre-injury mobility is the most significant determinant for post-operative survival. In patients with chronic renal failure, the rates of mortality at two years post-operatively are close to 45%. Finally, know that mortality risk is decreased at 30 days and at one year post-op when surgical intervention is performed within 24 hours of admission.
Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a 70-year-old female presents with a displaced left femoral neck fracture after sustaining a fall while walking her dog. Overall, she is healthy with no history of chronic heart, lung, or renal disease. Upon further questioning, she plays pickleball regularly and does not use ambulatory-assistive devices. The best functional outcome at 7 to 10 years would be achieved with which of the following procedures? And the choices are 1. Cemented bipolar hemiarthroplasty. 2. Uncemented bipolar hemiarthroplasty. 3. Hip resurfacing. 4. Total hip arthroplasty. And 5. Open reduction internal fixation. The correct answer to this question is 4. Total hip arthroplasty. So active elderly patients greater than 65 years old with a displaced femoral neck fracture have better functional outcomes at 7 to 10 years when treated with total hip arthroplasty. To quickly review, displaced femoral neck fractures in elderly patients are generally treated with arthroplasty given the high likelihood of femoral head avascular necrosis. While indications may vary in regards to hemiarthroplasty versus total hip arthroplasty, total hip arthroplasty provides more predictable pain relief and improved functional outcomes when compared to hemiarthroplasty for active patients. Burgers et al. reviewed the outcomes of randomized control trials evaluating total hip arthroplasty versus hemiarthroplasty in the healthy elderly. They reported a lower revision rate, 4 versus 7%, equal one-year mortality, that is 13 versus 15%, and equal major and minor complication rates between THA and hemiarthroplasty, respectively. The dislocation rate, however, was higher for THA at 9% compared to hemiarthroplasty at 3%. Functional outcomes were also improved with THA, including Harris hip scores of 81 versus 77, patients reporting mild to no hip pain, that is 75 versus 56%, and Womack scores of 94 versus 78. They concluded that THA provides superior patient-based outcomes, but a higher dislocation rate in the active elderly patient with a displaced femoral neck fracture when compared to hemiarthroplasty. You, et al., reviewed total hip arthroplasty versus hemiarthroplasty for displaced femoral neck fractures. They reported nearly the same results as the Berger study, lower risk of reoperation with total hip arthroplasty, similar mortality rates between total hip arthroplasty and hemiarthroplasty, and a higher dislocation rate with total hip arthroplasty. Similarly, there was no difference in major complication rates between groups. They concluded that despite dislocations, total hip arthroplasty for the treatment of displaced femoral neck fractures in the elderly provides improved functional scores and a lower risk of reoperation. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, cemented bipolar hemiarthroplasty, and answer 2, uncemented bipolar hemiarthroplasty are both incorrect, as hemiarthroplasty, cemented or uncemented, has been shown to provide lower functional outcomes following displaced femoral neck fractures in healthy, active, elderly patients. Answer 3, hip resurfacing is incorrect, as hip resurfacing should not be performed in the setting of femoral neck fractures. And finally, answer 5, open reduction internal fixation is incorrect, as displaced femoral neck fractures in elderly patients should be treated with arthroplasty, not ORIF. And moving on to the final question, a 72-year-old female sustains a displaced intracapsular femoral neck fracture. Which of the following is true regarding the long-term differences between possible treatment options for this injury? And the choices are 1. Patients undergoing total hip arthroplasty are more likely to experience persistent pain than those undergoing internal fixation. 2. Patients undergoing total hip arthroplasty are less likely to require reoperation than those undergoing internal fixation. 
Three, there is no difference in functional outcome scores between internal fixation and total hip arthroplasty. Four, patients undergoing internal fixation perform activities of daily living better than those undergoing total hip arthroplasty. And five, mortality rates are higher following total hip arthroplasty than internal fixation. The correct answer to this question is two, patients undergoing total hip arthroplasty are less likely to require reoperation than those undergoing internal fixation. So elderly patients with femoral neck fractures undergoing total hip arthroplasty are less likely to require reoperation than those undergoing internal fixation. To quickly review, intracapsular femoral neck fractures are common in elderly patients after a fall from standing height. Treatment depends on physiologic age and displacement based on Garden's classification. For displaced fractures, physiologically young patients are treated with internal fixation, while physiologically old patients are treated with either hemiarthroplasty, that is, in the setting of debilitated, less active patients, or total hip arthroplasty in the setting of more active patients, as well as those with acetabular disease or pre-existing inflammatory arthritis. Chamut et al. retrospectively compared the long-term results at 17 years of total hip arthroplasty, where both components were cemented, and ORIF with two cannulated screws in elderly patients defined as greater than 65 years old. They found no difference in mortality. But hip scores were higher and pain was better in the total hip arthroplasty group, while reoperation rates were higher in the ORIF group. Walking speed was initially faster in the total hip arthroplasty group, but later did not differ between groups. They recommend total hip arthroplasty for elderly patients with displaced femoral neck fracture. Rogmark et al. prospectively compared close reduction and internal fixation with arthroplasty, combining hemiarthroplasty and total hip arthroplasty at two years in elderly patients defined as greater than 70 years old. Failure rates were higher, pain was worse, and walking was more impaired after close reduction and internal fixation. They recommend arthroplasty for patients greater than 70 with femoral neck fracture. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, patients undergoing total hip arthroplasty are more likely to experience persistent pain than those undergoing internal fixation is incorrect as patients undergoing total hip arthroplasty are more likely to have less pain than internal fixation. Answer 3, there is no difference in functional outcome scores between internal fixation and total hip arthroplasty is incorrect as patients undergoing total hip arthroplasty have superior functional outcome scores. Answer four, patients undergoing internal fixation perform activities of daily living better than those undergoing total hip arthroplasty is incorrect as patients undergoing total hip arthroplasty perform activities of daily living better in the short term. In the long term, there is no difference in ADL between the groups. And finally, answer five, mortality rates are higher following total hip arthroplasty than internal fixation is incorrect as mortality rates are similar after the two procedures. That's all for this review about femoral neck fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com. And in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.